So if you were with us before Hurricane Irma, pre-Irma, we're going back in time, um, we were in a, a four-week series. Hurricane Irma kind of put a pause in it. And this week, I was talking to my wife and some friends of mine and even a couple of people here. Is like I was just kind of in this, I don't know, loop of just going like, what are we going to talk about? Like, do we, do we launch the new series that we were getting ready to launch going into the two services? Or do we wrap up the, ser- the series from two weeks ago? Like, God, what do you want me to talk about? Or we just, do we just, I'd say nothing, which is probably fine with many of you, and we just sing songs all morning. That would be fine too. So um, I just really at a loss, and I really feel like God, um, late last night, early this morning, told me to finish up what we started. And we're going to wrap up the, the series that we were in, this heartbeat of a disciple series this morning. And to recap just a little bit, because I'm not going to go into the science lesson that was week one, and I'm not going to stare down Shelly, who's an RN over at Holmes, and my brother-in-law, who's a, a PA in cardiothoracic surgery. I'm not going to go down that route. So you can go back and you can listen to episode one of this series on our, on our website or podcast uh, but we've talked about how important it is actually looking at the human heart and how it beats and how it's formed and how it's made and the ventricles that come in and, and it pumps water and the sinoatrial node that sends electrical impulses to make the heart contract and, and beat and send good oxygenated blood all over your body, right? And it only takes 16 seconds to pretty much travel all over your body. Some pretty amazing stuff, how God made each one of you and us. And, there, and there's a lot we can learn from that heart and how it's made, and then actually what it means to have a heart and a heart beating as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first week we talked about what that heartbeat means. The second week, Ben uh, Bowman, our worship leader, who's led us in song already this morning, he talked about the impurities that can kind of get in the way, the things that need to be expelled from our life. And then right before Hurricane Irma, we talked about this thing called oxygen. We're like, well, oxygen doesn't really have a lot to do with the heart. Well, yeah, it does, because the heart pumps that healthy, oxygenated blood all over your body. Because if it didn't do that, and you had CO2 all in your body, and your heart didn't pump oxygenated blood through your body, you know what you would be? You would be dead. Right, we're all clear on that, right? I would be dead, you would be dead, everybody dead. But all that's working, take a deep breath, isn't it lovely? Your heart is beating, is, is pumping oxygenated blood all over your body. And today we're going to wrap up with this thing called exercise. So make sure you do some stretches this morning. Maybe you've had your coffee. Maybe you're glad that we have a 1045 service now and you've got 45 more minutes to sleep and uh, you're just ready to go. But there is a reason this series isn't called Heartbeat of a Christian, right? Because we talked about in our first week that Christians can be groupies, right? There's a huge disconnect between the people, the 83% of Americans that call themselves Christians... And then the 27% or so that find themselves in a church every week. And then the 16% of the 27% of the 83% that are actually going more than 1.3 times a month when being involved, right? So there's a huge disconnect between often being called a Christian, not that Christian's bad, and being a disciple. Not that being a disciple is so much more, so much less. But we are striving to be disciples. Matthew 28, 16, and you don't have to turn there, but it's one of the last things that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven. He says, Go into all the world and make what? Not Christians? No? Yeah. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And in order for you and I to make disciples, guess what we have to be? We've got to be one in order to make one. I'm a human. My wife and I, she's a human. You know, 
through the grace of God, we had a human child, not a dog child. We have two dog children, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's not, it's not a clam or an octopus or any other weird thing. A human and a human makes a human, right? It's not rocket science. So if you and I are going to make disciples, we have to ergo be disciples. All right, we're on the same page with that. And one of our big points about the, from last week, and I don't want to breeze past this because this is so crucial for our understanding about what this heartbeat of a disciple means. This point from our week, two weeks ago before Hurricane Irma was, you can't be a private Christian and be a disciple. It's a tough truth to swallow. But it's scripturally and inescapably true. You can't be a private Christian and be a disciple. Because the world is a dying place and you and I are this oxygen... I messed it up again. Oxygenated oxygenated blood, healthy, should be, right? Going out into the community, coming back, breathing in and breathing out what God is breathing in and breathing out of us. That's one of the reasons why John is starting that discipleship workshop starting next Sunday. And we've got some baptisms coming up as well that I'm really excited about. And if you've been sitting in here for a while or God has done something in your life, you know, I may have called myself a Christian for a long time. But just like sitting in a garage, again, doesn't make me a car. I feel like God's doing something in my life right now. And I need to make a step because He's doing something. And I want to be that disciple. I want to have that relationship that I've never had before. So if that's you this morning, talk to myself or one of our staff after church. But this morning, we're going to wrap up with this thing called exercise. And exercise is crucial. It's absolutely crucial for a healthy heart. You know this, right? I know this. We hear news reports about it. Sure, exercise, crucial, blah, 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 healthy heart. But remember, the heart is a what? The heart is a muscle. And over time, consistent and regular exercise increases the size in the walls of the ventricles, allowing more blood to be pumped with every contraction. So with every boom, boom of your heart, which is the valves, the sound is actually the valves opening and closing, right? But with every boom, boom contraction of your heart, if you're healthy and you have a healthy heart and an exercising heart, your, your ventricles grow a little bit. And if you remember from week one, that allows more blood in and more healthy oxygenated blood can go to the rest of your body more efficiently and more effectively. That's good, right? Healthy hearts are good. And then when you're at rest, right? Some of you might be there before the end of this message, but when you're at rest, then your heart is beating slower because your heart doesn't have to work as hard because getting the same amount of blood to the body where it needs it and fewer ba-booms, right? According to numerous clinical studies, consistent exercise, it lowers your risk of heart disease. It keeps your weight down. It improves your mood. Yes, it's possible. It lowers your risk for some types of cancer. Did you all know that? It improves your balance. Ooh, ooh, Right? It reduces your risk of osteoporosis by increasing bone mass. It gives you more energy and it helps you sleep better. And when I started going to the gym, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to go to the gym and work myself tired and then have more energy to not do the things that I've always already like, tired of doing. It's true. It doesn't make any sense. But for those of you who, who go to the gym or exercise regularly, you know this is true. When you don't get that jog in, or you're that little elliptical thing, or maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're one of those speed walkers down the, down the sidewalk. Maybe you're one of those. That's cool. No judgment here. <laughs> if you're one of those people, you know this is true. When you exercise, you actually have more energy, 
and you sleep better. Exercising in a healthy heart makes a big difference, doesn't it? You see, the issue is, not only as we tie this in as a giant metaphor for our faith, the issue is, that with many Christians, again, in a lot of those studies we talked about the first week, is that in many churches, they have developed a couch potato faith. Would you say that's true? I would probably say that's true. And it's not putting anybody down. This is a reality, right? So, what are we going to do about it? We're going to begin with the scripture we had in our last message. It's so important, we're going to read it again. And that's Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a, uh, a Bible, there's some over there to your left underneath the prayer board. I'm sure someone would be happy to get it with you or for you. And again, if you don't have a Bible at all, like at all, at all, um, take this Bible you grab home with you. Just take it. Uh, anyone need a Bible? There's some sitting right up here. Yes, no, we good? Okay. Um, take it home with you. Uh, so Bibles, smartphones, on all that kind of stuff. And uh, chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. And if you don't have this underlined, I want to encourage you to underline it. Like, why? This doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Like sheep without a shepherd. You see, many churches and pastors have shifted to this focus on building a, bitter, a bigger and better building. Do you know that there are, there are campuses being built at churches that have rock climbing walls now? that have full-blown cafeterias and movie theaters. Like there's some crazy stuff being built on church buildings. And some pastors and, and some leaders are trying to make themselves more popular. Well, I've got to write more books. I've got to get more Twitter followers. And the answer to all that is no, right? And if you listen to one thing, and if you've been here for a few years, and if you've been through our journey of where we were to where we are, and you've like missed every sermon, and you haven't like, this guy's silly. If you listen to one thing, just please listen to this one thing. Because this is so important. My role is not to enable you to be a better sheep. My role is to help equip you to be a better shepherd. We get that? You see, there's a huge separation between those two mentalities. And there's a lot of places you can go, and that's maybe okay, maybe not. I'm not going to judge. God's going to be the judge. But I know what I've been called to do and what I've been called to say. And there's some places you can go where you can be a number and you can sit in and you can blend in and there's no responsibility and you can just leave. Right? And you're one of a number. Many sheep to a very few shepherd. There's many, many megachurches, right? Growing up all over the United States. And that's Okay. But I like to think of this as like a micro-community. You know, like there's Budweiser, but then there's like micro-breweries, right? And the micro-breweries are called, like they're all hip and in right now. It's like, ooh, where are we going to go for that? Like we're a micro-community when you think about it. And I don't necessarily think that being big is bad, but I think we need to use small to our advantage, right? Because we get to have these types of conversations. So my role here is not to enable you to be a better sheep. I'm not out for more followers. We're not going to write more books. We're not going to try to do, do any silly get our name out there stuff. That's not what we're about here. My role here 
is to help equip you to be a better shepherd. Like, I don't know, Josh, I, I never thought about being a shepherd before. That's what your job is. To which my response, lovingly, is no. No. How many disciples did Jesus have? Anyone want to shoot out a number? Twelve. Twelve. Great initial answer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hannah. You are off by probably hundreds or thousands. Hundreds or thousands, yeah. Jesus, we often think 12, right? Jesus had 12 apostles. We're going to read how, how that came out. But Jesus most likely had hundreds, if not thousands, of disciples. Turn with me to the book of uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Verses 12 and 13. We're going to see how this came, came about. In these days, Jesus... He went out to the mountain to pray, and, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them, so there are more than twelve, at least we know right now, whom he named apostles. So he separated these guys out. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot. He's crazy, right? And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Going on, verse 17. And, and he became down with him and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his what? Disciples. A great crowd of his disciples. And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. And it goes on from there, right? But for some reason, we read this and we kind of have this disconnect in our brains because like I'm not worthy, right? I can't be a disciple. I read about these guys in the, in the Bible who followed Jesus and were there with him at the cross and there with him in all his ministry and there when he cast little demons into little piggies and I was there when he, you know, when he fed 5,000 and he had all these leftovers. These are the disciples. I can't be a disciple. But again, Jesus had hundreds if not thousands of other disciples and he separated these guys as 12 apostles. So don't get bogged down and a misinterpretation in your mind that you and I can't be something God has already called us out to be. And what if those 12 apostles we knew, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, what if they weren't 12, but what if they were actually possibly 15? What if? What if there were three more guys? Well, there could have been. We're going to read about them. But they weren't willing to go the distance for Jesus. So if you're in Luke, just turn over a few pages to chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to start here in verse 10, or in chapter 10, and then we're going to bounce back. And it's very important as to why. Chapter 10, verse 1, Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Sounds familiar, right? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So after this, the Lord appointed 72. So what's the this? Because I'm real big about the this. Anytime you start a passage in the Bible, if it starts with therefore, do yourself a favor, go back a paragraph or two. Because you need to know the therefore, otherwise the therefore make no sense. So we're going to find out what the this is. We're going to go back in time just a little bit. We want to go back to chapter 9, verse 57. And we're going to understand what the this is. Because without the this, the that makes no sense. Ready? That makes sense at all? Okay, here we go. Chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To which the guy said, huh? 
What? All right, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, another mysterious answer, leave the dead to bury their own dead. You're like, dead can't bury dead. What are you talking about? But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's what the this is. And the this is very important because as we read this passage of these three guys who probably, you know, if he, he said this, Jesus said the exact same thing to this guy. And these guys that he said to the other disciples who left their nets, who left their fishing boats and followed him. He said, follow me. And every single one of these people had an excuse, right? To them it was valid. Nevertheless, an excuse. Hey, let me first do this. Let me first do this, God, and, and then. God, let me first do this, as a phrase, has never changed anyone's life. You realize that, right? God, hold on a second. While I, blankety-blank, whatever it is you have to do. And we're going to learn four key things from these three examples here this morning. Just let us read the first one again, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him again, this convoluted answer, it appears, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And some of us might say, huh? What are you talking about? That doesn't even answer the guy's question. What does that even mean, right? We're going to unpack this. This is what Jesus is saying through this. Be on the move. Do not get comfortable. Say that with me. Be on the move. Do not get comfortable. We've never settled here. You realize that. Our church, True Life Church, we are never settled. We are never done. Nothing is ever complete. Nothing is ever finite. There's always a place to go, somewhere to be, something to grow, something to do, something to repaint, magic eraser, to take the crayon off the walls. There's always something to do here to do something to go somewhere else. This building will change. You and I are going to change. Our city's going to change. Our location's probably going to change. And as we become a part of this church for God's glory here in Melbourne, you and I cannot hold to the, the way things were. And if you were with us in the beginning, I say the beginning just a few years ago, in an elementary school cafeteria being portable, the 21 or 22 of you, you know this, right? It's not about the way things were. It's about the way God's going to make things in the future. We can never get comfortable. Because you know what happens when we get comfortable? We let our guard down. And when we let our guard down, what happens? We make space for the enemy. You can read history books, it'll tell you this. The Battle of Trenton, 1776, George Washington in a boat, right? He's sailing, you know, it's icy waters. And they, they, and they, 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 they take out this, this crazy bunch of German, Hessian, like military SEAL Team 6 guys in their day. Crazy victory, Right? Anyone heard of Trojan horse? Yeah, same deal. Oh, what about this? Pearl Harbor? Yes, we know about that, right? There's a whole ocean between us and Japan. They can't get us. Wrong, right? What about after World War I going into World War II? France, they made this Maginot Line, right? And it's fun to say Maginot Line. It makes you sound all French. And uh, we will. How's the Maginot Line? Nothing can get through. Right? Well, German just went around it, right? So when you get comfortable, you let your guard down. And once you let your guard down, the enemy can come in. And you and I as disciples, we cannot afford to get comfortable 
ever. See, I used to worry over what would happen or what people would think or how things would go, especially in junior high and high school. You know, the kids called me Poindexter. I had big old giant round glasses. I ran and tracked funny around. You know, my mom gave me clothes that I think kind of looked funny, and so I couldn't do anything about that. I wore the clothes mom bought. So, all right, now I pick up my own goofy clothes, and I still have glasses, so not a lot's changed, except I don't have hair, so still call me Poindexter, I guess. But I used to worry about you calling me Poindexter. I don't anymore. I don't. Because I've, as I've learned to walk with Jesus, I've actually learned to enjoy the unknown. Not just with what people used to call me. Not just be what I used to be worried about, but like trying to lead a church. Trying to do things that I've never done before. Trying to do things that you've never done before. You might understand what this feeling of uncomfortability could be or this unknown could be. But anytime I feel myself getting comfortable, I'm going to ask Jesus to change something. Or I'll paint a new wall, just because. Or I'll rearrange the sanctuary for you so you don't know where the seat you sat in last time was. This is, where is it? I had my name in it. We were friends. You know, we sat down all day. We spent every Sunday hours together. This was my seat. And now, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> right, I'll just rearrange that, right? Or I'll change the way I'll write sermons. Because I don't want to let my guard down. I don't want to let the enemy in. I want to let God move in my life. And I'll venture to say this. That if you are uncomfortable right now in your life, you actually might be exactly where Jesus needs you to be. The second thing we're going to learn from this in the second story, again, we're going to pick up here in verse 59, still chapter 9, to another Jesus said, follow me. Familiar words, right? But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here's what we're going to learn from this. Don't proclaim your past over his promise. Don't proclaim your past over his promise. What do I mean by that? Well, are you still living in that past? Does that past that you have have control over you? Are you still making the same choices? Are you still living the same life? Because if you're trying to still bury something in your past, you're not going to be any good for anybody in the present. Don't proclaim your past over His promise. What has prominence in your life? God's promise for mercy and grace and salvation and blessing? Or does your past, when that thing happened that you can't get over, have prominence in your life? Because if you're like me, you've known too many Christians... Again, probably this term, Christian. Christians, right? Who still can't get past that thing that happened to them. Jesus saving them was great and all. But, you know, and all the life before. But they can't get past that thing because maybe they were in prison. Or they had that addiction. And it's like their mindset is still in that addiction. Their mindset is still in that prison. And they're not called to be. Does this make sense? All of us have a past somewhere. But let the dead bury their own dead, Jesus says. That's done. That's gone as far as he's concerned from the east to the west. As many drops as there are in the ocean. So his forgiveness is for us. Good luck counting that. So you can't live there. Let the dead bury their own dead. Move on. Be a disciple for Jesus Christ. Don't proclaim your past above his promise. Third thing about being a disciple and exercise today. Exercising these disciples qualities. Next story. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this last one is so good, we're going to learn two things from it. First of all, you do not have to have your life put together to be a disciple. You don't have to have everything put together in your life to be used by God. You know that, right? But sometimes it's just good to hear someone say. It's true. You don't have to have everything put together in your life to be used by God. You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be making progress. Let's put this another way. Lord, I'll do this, but first has never led to a changed life. There's a joke that goes like this. There's a man. He's a very plain, simple, boring man. No special talents, no skills. Very poor, right? And so this man prays, said, God, if I just had a talent, oh, I would serve you. So God said, okay, I'll give you a talent. And the man could suddenly play guitar very well. And he went down and he played in bars to try to make some more money. And the man prayed again, God, if I, I'm not making enough money. If I just had more money, I'd give to the poor. I'd give to the needy. So God said, okay, I'll bless you with a new job. Here's a new job. You make lots of money and you still have your talent. And the man went out and he bought new cars. And a nice home. Better things. The man prayed again, God, I'm so busy with all these things now in my, my new job. I wish I just had more time. If I had time, I'd, I'd serve and I'd do that and I'd be where you need me to be. And so God cleared his calendar for him. Okay, you've got all the time and all the money and all the talent you need. The man wasted it. So God sits back and he watches in this story. And God takes back the time. And he takes back the talent. And he takes back the money. And suddenly the man, now frustrated, says, You know what? This God thing is overrated. I don't think I'm going to follow him anymore at all. You see, the man never used, he never, uh, he never exercised what he had, who he was, and what he had been given. This leads us to our fourth thing we can learn from just this one verse. You can't move forward by looking backward. Thank you, Josh. That's a no-brainer. Yep, you're welcome. I can get that one for free. You can't move forward by looking backward. You know this. If you drove here in a car this morning, you know this. Imagine how many accidents would be out there on Wickham Road if people could only look in their rearview mirrors. Forget Hurricane Irma. Wickham Road would be a disaster, right? You know this. You can't move forward by looking backward. And if you and I are going to be active disciples of Jesus Christ, if we're going to exercise this heart we're supposed to have for Him, you and I have got to be on the move looking forward, not backward. I've got a picture I want to share with you guys. And probably only a couple of you in this room have seen this until this morning. But this was, as hard to see, I know, it's just a sketch. But I woke up from a dream three years ago before we'd ever even signed a lease on this location. And I don't know if you can see it in the sketch, but there's a prayer board on the left. There's hangy downy pendant lights. There's exposed air conditioning ducts. There's, there's, there's chairs. There's a stage. There's a wooden wall and two TVs. It's a little crazy, right? I think it's kind of cool. A little crazy. But it's interesting going back and looking at that and then being where we're at today, right? So if I'm sitting here that was then, this is now. Let me ask you this, because you need to be involved in this. Looking forward 
and the life of this church, what do you see? Looking forward in the life of this church, what do you see? You know, I'll tell you what I see. I see lives changed. Just like the ending of our vision statement, hundreds and hundreds of people coming to know salvation through Jesus Christ, I believe that. I believe in that. Because I believe that God is a good God. And that people are hungry to know Him. I see people getting baptized. I see us growing. I see the potential for new buildings and outreach and communities and missions. Leaving from here to downtown and here on the globe. It doesn't matter. I see vibrant, caring, awesome kids programs and youth programs that actually have an impact in our schools. I see thriving small groups. I see disciples instead of sign light sitters. There's too many people on the bench out there these days for Christ. What would it look like if a whole team was playing? I see leaders instead of groupies. I see potential shepherds out here, not just sheep. Do you see what I see? Because this is what I see. I see new churches being birthed out of us with their own pastors and their own leadership. I see us being financially self-sufficient for me the first time ever. It would be the first time ever. I see missions doing amazing things in our communities. I see a people who are not ashamed of the gospel they say they believe in. I see needs being met and hearts being changed because of God's love through us. You know what I really see? I see a church that can change a city. And it's not just a little picture on the screen or some sketch or some dream. I'm looking at you. I see a church that can change a city. You and me together. Imagine what it would look like if we went out of this place and said, you know what? I know Jesus. And I've been quiet for a long time. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to share that. I'm going to be that annoying, bubbly person because I've got something to talk about. Because God's done something, an amazing transformation in me. Because I know who I was, and even though I'm not living there anymore, I know who He's called to be. Who He's called me to be. I'm going to do my best to get there. That's transformation. That's what discipleship is. Changing a city. Can, can one church do that? What do you all think? I'm not the church. We're the church. Let's have a conversation. What do you all think? Yay. I know, it's going to take a little bit to sink in. This is not some crazy pipe dream, y'all. And it's not some scheme to make some popular pastor or some worship guy. It's not, I'm not trying to get on a pedestal. I've had opportunities to do that. I don't want that. That's not me. My wife will tell you, I've had every opportunity to do some things in music. Nope, it's not who God called me to be. Remember those 72 people that Jesus sent out at the beginning of the, the this we started? We're going to finish that up. Luke 10. And go to verse 17 this time. They come back. They return. The 72 return with what? If you found it, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. Joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he's not talking about this moment. He's talking about from the beginning of the time when the enemy became the enemy. And he's like, I knew he was finished then. 
And I'm just glad you're part of the story now. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't pass your back. Don't get proud on yourselves that the spirits are subject to you. Don't let your guard down. Don't get comfortable. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There's nothing those people couldn't do in Jesus' name, right? What if they had gone out on their own name? Utter and complete failure. And if you and I try to do that today, it's the same result. But if you and I go out today, that's why you have an invite card on the chair you sat in or somewhere around it. One of the new little fun, cute, I call them cute, cute little mini hello cards, like little babies, to the big hello cards. Unless if you, if you want to have a card around you, little itty-bitty green business card size, you find it? What does that say on the front? That says, hello, I would like to what? Invite you to True Life Church this Sunday. This is an invite card. And this is not to make our church huge. But you know, most people are going to freak out if you walk up to them in Starbucks with a guitar and start singing worship songs at them. Holy is the Lord God! I'm just trying to get a latte, dude. Chill. Right? And if you start preaching on them, they're probably going to get a little freaked out. But most people kind of know what to expect in an environment and setting like this. And if you invite them, most likely, might not be the first time, might not be the second time, maybe the third time, they'll come. If they are invited. And if you don't know where to start with this whole discipleship thing, you're like, I've got a story, I don't know where to start, I don't know, like, I'm really kind of uncomfortable. You know, you want to make a small baby step this week? Leave this card with the receipt of wherever you eat out at. Just leave it. If you're that weirded out by this. But take a step. Do something. And if you're uncomfortable, then guess what? Good. Good. You're probably in a good place. So be on the move. Proclaim His promise over your past. Do not feel like you have to have everything put together. Because it'll never be put together, right? Something's going to be off at some point in time. Look forward to sharing true life through Jesus Christ. Because when you look forward, not looking behind, but looking forward, who do you see that's not here that needs to be here? Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus that needs to be here? Who do you know that needs an environment where they feel like they can make a difference and be a part of a faith family and, and meet and make new friends and have their kids in a, in a loving, growing children's program down the hall? Who do you know that needs to be here when you look forward at this church? The best thing about all this is that anytime the disciples and the apostles gathered, and now you know the difference between the two, right? Anytime they came together, amazing things happened when they came together and they worshiped God, which is what we're doing. Things like Pentecost happened, right? The book of Acts where these, these flaming tongues came and all of a sudden these, these apostles could speak in all different languages the message of Jesus Christ. Amazing things happened when, when the apostles and the disciples came together in the early church and thousands of people were added to their number in a day. That wasn't them. That was the Holy Spirit doing the work. Is that same Holy Spirit alive in us today? You bet it is. You bet it is. God does amazing things when we come together and we worship Him. And that's why you have got the invite card. It's not about making True Life Church huge. It's about inviting them into a place where we know, where two or more are gathered. We know God is here, Right? Why don't we invite them to a place where we know God is? There are people out there like sheep without a shepherd. 
So this week, exercise. Exercise your faith just a little and see who you can lead because it's time for us as a church to be disciples of Jesus Christ.